This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! Welcome to the Match Preview Podcast. Callum Williams, as always, alongside Kindra D. St. Aubin. Lots coming your way on this Match Preview Podcast. We'll take a look back at the win against Houston Dynamo before having a look around the world of Major League Soccer. Uh, some really intriguing headlines over the course of the last week or so. Then we'll be joined by US soccer legend, LA Galaxy legend, former midfielder for the US men's national team, Kobe Jones to talk to us about LA Galaxy. We'll get the insights from LA Galaxy and see what to expect as they face Minnesota United this coming Saturday. First, though, Kendra, just one defeat in 13 for Minnesota United, their latest victory coming against Houston Dynamo. Eventually, it looked as if it was comfortable. Yeah, it's crazy, Cal. When you just said, hey, we're going to talk Houston Dynamo, I felt like that game was an eternity ago, and it wasn't that long ago. It was literally the last game. It wasn't like we had an off week in there. But it just feels like so long ago um, with that match against Houston Dynamo. Um, and, yeah, it was a 2 nothing win for Minnesota United, unbeaten now in this incredible stretch of games. And I think that that's something that Minnesota United is going to hang their hat on, and that's the kind of momentum you got to ride. It's not necessarily all wins. It's not necessarily three points all the time. But the fact that you're not giving up the points and you're not losing games and you're finding a way to win the games in the difficult moments um, or even get the draws in the difficult moments, those are all things that I think Adrian Heath and the club and, and the roster are going to kind of go check, check, check. Like, what what do we need to do to be above that playoff line come the end of the season, especially knowing that they started 0-4? That was a hole that was a tough one to dig out of. And we know it was early, but everybody mathematically was starting to crunch the numbers about what would you need from here on out to get above that playoff line come time to, uh, you know, jump into the postseason. So the club with a fantastic win um, against the Houston Dynamo, a team that they should beat, a team that they did beat, and Robin Lud getting the job done once again, then Brent Coleman rewarded uh, with a second goal that I think deservedly so. Much like when Chase Gasper or any of the defenders score a goal, you just feel happy for them that they they get something in return for their hard work defensively. Perhaps a subject for, for later, but again, I remember asking you this on, on the, the Captain Morgan post-game show on the television, and um, I, I guess I'll press you for an answer again, Kay. Well, what if what if Michael Boxall is fit and, and ready to go for this game against LA Galaxy, given the performances of Brent Coleman over the course of the last few weeks? Well, there's a, a kind of a two, two-part answer for me on that one. If Michael Boxall is fit and you know you can get 90 out of him, no questions asked, no hesitation, I would put Michael Boxel in there. And that is, again, nothing against Brent Coleman. But I don't know that Adrian Heath would ever do that. Adrian Heath is not going to throw in a player in the starting 11 when you have a center back that is fully capable, made team of the week, scored a goal, has done well defensively. If you know that Michael Boxel may only go 60 minutes or that he's not beyond 100% healthy and fit and ready to go. I think that that is a luxury that Adrian Heath has right now. So if, if Adrian Heath felt like Michael Boxel was the better, better matchup, he could play 90 minutes, no doubt. And that he is fit and ready and healthy to go. I would put him back in the starting 11. And again, nothing against Brent Coleman, but I don't think that 
Adrian would ever do that. I think he would work his way back in by coming off the bench in another scenario at some point in a match to get 20 minutes of of match play here and there to get himself back in and, and work himself back into game fitness and see how he handles the rigorous nature of actually playing in a game as opposed to even playing in a small-sided game or a scrimmage at training. After the way the game against Vancouver ended, Kay, I think it was really important for Minnesota United and the group of players to show that psychologically things like that don't affect them anymore. We, we, we haven't always been able to say that with Minnesota United over the years. A victory against the Dynamo was pivotal regardless, especially given the way that this team wants to be towards the upper echelons of the Western Conference. But given the way that the Vancouver game ended, it, it really needed to be a showing of character. And that's exactly what we got last Saturday. It did, and it was. And I think that I went into the game feeling like, okay, this is a team this club should beat, and especially at home. But we all know that's just not how this league necessarily works. Even though you have 20,000 screaming fans all on your side and a Houston Dynamo team who hasn't lost a ton of games, has had a lot of draws, but and missing some of their key players, key attacking players, this is absolutely three points that Minnesota has to have. The other thing was, is that I wasn't sure how to feel about coming off that Vancouver game. Would they feel more energized because they were hard done by it and they felt like they got robbed of the three points of the two additional points and, and it should have been a win. So it'll be almost kind of a, a motivational factor or are they going to sort of be wallowing in it because they didn't get the, the three points and it didn't go their way. I felt like they were going to be motivated and they were going to be energized by it because it wasn't of their doing. They did everything in their power to get the three points that day. They got the the draw on the road against LAFC and then went back to back and played at Salt Lake against Vancouver and should have gotten the three points and had a really good second half, which normally doesn't happen at altitude to, to come away with that three points. I felt like they were going to be energized and motivated knowing how they performed, knowing they were hard done, and then also knowing that they had Houston at home back in front of their fans. And I think, and, and fortunately this time, it worked out how I had hoped and how I thought it would. And I think that that's, again, a proof, uh, you know, a credit to their character in this club, in this group, in this locker room, that they can just pick right up, pick themselves up, and move on to the next. If they'd gotten absolutely smoked and didn't show up against Vancouver and they lost – that to me would have been harder almost to come back from because it's just a poor showing against another team. That's not great in Vancouver and also has, you know, been on the quote unquote road for most of the past year and a half. So um, they did what they needed to do against Tab Ramos's club and in, in the Houston Dynamo. And you just get to check another box off and that un unbeaten category and, and continue to rack up some of these points as you climb in the Western conference. So tactically, Kay, how did Minnesota get the better of Houston Dynamo? Because they are notoriously difficult to break down. I think it was nine draws they've had this season. I don't think anybody's had that many in the Western Conference this season. They are difficult to break down in the 4-3-3 formation. So how did Adrian Heath do it? Well, you know, part of me kind of felt like I was I was scratching my head about some of what Tab Ramos um 
was putting out there in the formation, not the formation, the four three three. We knew that he would do that. And Adrian Heath even said to me on Friday in the in the radio interview, he wasn't sure who was going to be in the four three three, but he knew it was going to be a four three three. And I think we saw that because Fafa Picot was playing more centrally. Corey Baird was a little bit more on the wing, and then you also had Memo Rodriguez playing in that front three on the more of the wing or the outside position. And I think that Minnesota United capitalized on the lack of movement of the front three, and then also just in the transition and then getting out the other direction. And I do think that Minnesota United was so purposeful in their possession that it didn't even allow Houston to really gain any momentum, to really grasp the game at all. It wasn't a a, a situation where Houston was necessarily sitting back you know, bunkered in behind the ball. But at the same time, it wasn't where they were trying to go forward and counter because I don't think Pico really knew where to make the runs centrally. He's not a check back to ball, back to goal kind of a player. He's better on the spaces on the wings. And the fact that he wasn't on the wing allowed Chase Gasper and or Roma Metanier to have more freedom to get forward and get involved in the attack. One thing I really enjoyed watching from that Minnesota United game against Houston was the ability to switch the fields pinging the ball on a dime and it's the big switch and it wasn't slow. It was quick. And I think that really forced Houston to slide side to side question where they were to try to fill the gaps. I thought Adrian Anu did a better job of making some runs in places to be available. Robin Lud did his thing. Ethan Finley does his thing and will trap actually stepped up in the attack more than I'm, I'm used to seeing him doing. And Asani was kind of less involved in the attack and they both did well to cover defensively. So I think that there were so many things that the team did right um, in their conversations, knowing they were going to be playing this four, three, three. But I also do think that Houston looked a little discombobulated with the pieces that they had out there and where they had out, where they had them out there. And they missed some real creativity in the playmaking um, that, you know, the dynamic playmaking attacking third of the field that they were missing. And, and even like a Darwin Seren, who I know he doesn't play a ton anymore. And he just came back from national team duty with the gold cup and whatnot. You know, he's kind of mixed in there, but he was on the red and he's kind of one of those forces in the center of midfield normally that everybody's always aware of because he'll put a crunching tackle in and Reynoso once again, just to ramble on here. He did an excellent job of continuing to play on and find the game. He had a, I think it was Matias Vera that was maybe on him constantly tackling him, nipping at his heels. You know, I mean, there probably could have been a few more yellow cards. You had, um, uh, was it Jones in there? Derek Jones that was constantly, you know, clipping at his ankles and, and I think Reynoso, that's another one of his qualities is that he continues to play on, find the pockets of space, become available and defend when needed. That it almost wears the opposition down. They're the one defending him, but he wears them down because he doesn't give up and he doesn't give in and he doesn't let it get to him. And um, those were moments where I think Reynoso did a really good job of finding the pockets of space that then advance the ball and try to combine. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, Houston wasn't as dangerous going forward as, as I would have thought. And I thought Minnesota showed patience when needed and then was purposeful in the possession to break down that kind of low block um, or, you know, the four and the three in the midfield when they needed to to find a way to move the ball quickly and find the open spaces. Another day, another goal for Robin Lutz. It doesn't seem to matter which role he plays, whether it's as a central forward or on the right-hand side, he seems to find a way at the moment. He's in wonderful form. 
Man, and you know how I, I, I think he should be an all-star. Um, you know, I think somebody just put out some list about, you know, underrated players of MLS this year. And I think we have a few of them, Minnesota United, that being on the list and Robin Lud being one of them. And I'm just happy to see him find success because he was kind of, you know, uh, crapped on for a better term, you know, when he first arrived in the middle of a summer holiday and people are like, wait, what? We paid him this much money. He's not, and he's not a flashy player. He's not a flashy dance on the ball kind of a player. So he's not like when you bring in a Darwin Quintero or you bring in an Emmanuel Reynoso or some of the players we've seen around the league, he just gets the job done. And every time he shoots the ball, you know, it's going to be on goal. And if it's not, it misses by inches because he's trying to curl it to the back post to put it where the keeper can't get it, but where that it will still curl into the side netting. And he always is in the right spot at the right time. And he works his tail off offensively and defensively 90 minutes. Even when he came back from the Euros, he was thrown right back in the mix, play wherever Adrian Heath asks him. And um, I think that he's one of those unsung heroes and he's one of those players that deserves to be on the all-star game. And you can understand why this club liked Robin Lloyd and why they wanted to bring him in. Whilst we're talking of Minnesota United players that have played at centre forward this season, let's move on, shall we? We were recording this on Thursday afternoon slash evening. Um, it was insinuated several days ago that Minnesota United had waived Argentine forward Ramon Abila. This afternoon, DC United in the Eastern Conference have announced that they have taken on the contract of Ramon Abila, meaning he won't be playing for Minnesota United anymore. Kendra, what are your initial reactions given this news? I'm not surprised at all. Um, you know, very quickly, I think we learned that training and even when there were whispers that he was maybe coming over, that maybe was it the right fit for the style, for the way that Minnesota United wanted to play. Um, he's a proven goal scorer in other leagues and certain teams and certain styles and certain formations. And we all know, especially in this league, just because someone is successful somewhere else doesn't mean they're going to be successful here. And I'm saying that broadly speaking as a league, not just specifically with Minnesota United. So was I surprised that they found a way um, to wave him and, and move him or whatever the terminology is these days with the way, you know, MLS and transfer windows and, and salaries and all that kind of stuff work. I I'm not sure I'm surprised. Um, I don't think, and I'm a huge believer in chemistry in body language and character. And I don't know, you know, if I look at that more than others, just being a female, <laughs> we're kind of tuned in sometimes to emotions, but I am always watching that on the field, whether it's players, coaching staff, officials, whoever it might be, I'm always watching the body language and it just didn't jive for me from Ramon Abila. I mean, forget the fact that he just doesn't seem to be the kind of player that fits Adrian's system necessarily. Um, it, to me, he just wasn't a right fit for the locker room. And, and this is a great locker room and you cannot afford to have someone disrupt that. And especially when you're finding success and we've all seen locker rooms in other sports and in soccer as well, it can go downhill very quickly if you get someone who's kind of rocking the boat. And this is a really good group that are willing to play for each other. And um, I think that I, I was not surprised. And DC United must, you know, they, they have different needs, different styles, different wants, different, you know, I mean, it, it just, maybe it'll work there. Maybe it won't. I mean, who knows? But 
Um, all we know is that Ramon Avila is not here with Minnesota United and that DC United have announced that they have, that they've picked him up and that he's part of their team now. So we'll see what happens to him going forward. Details to come with regards to that, obviously with Minnesota United waving him and DC United picking him up. Uh, I, to, to my knowledge, that means salaries may very well be making their way to Ramon Avila from various different avenues. Uh, maybe there was a deal struck between the two clubs to cancel that out. I don't know. We don't know. Um, but no doubt we'll get some details over the course of the next few days. But the simple fact of the matter is Ramon Avila is no longer a Minnesota United player. And and, and again, look, I'll go on the record and say it. Um, I, I have no problem getting a little slap on the wrist if, if that's necessary. Um, right from the get-go, I remember you and I, we were watching the team train um, in the the bubble that was up in Blaine at the time because it was cold outside. It was February, March. The team were just about to go off to pre-season and, and we were told about Ramon Avila. Um, and I had just come back from covering uh, Boca Juniors and, and doing the, the Comna Bowl Libertadores and had seen Avila. And I remember being very surprised when the team had said that that's a target and that's someone that they were looking at. Um, from day one, I just didn't think it was the right signing. Um, and for all the reasons you have just said, uh, amongst a plethora of many, many more as well, um, I think it's okay to admit when people get things wrong. I think it's okay for people to, to say that, yeah, this, this wasn't the correct signing. Um, I think we can put this one in that avenue. It didn't work for Minnesota United. I could certainly see the initial attraction in terms of, you look back to the, the goal against Vancouver that he scored at, at Allianz Fields. Um, this is a player that has, has played in front of monstrous crowds at the Bombonara. Uh, in, in big moments, he's delivered for Boca Juniors in the past. Uh, and arguably, he, he, he did that on that evening against uh, Vancouver because, you remember, at that stage, Minnesota were desperate for a win and they needed something and they got it from him. Um, so I saw the initial attraction, particularly with him playing off of the shoulder inside the tight spaces as well. So I understood that. But the biggest thing for me, Kay, and you insinuated it, was he was just never going to work with the pressing system that Adrian Heath wants to play. Uh, Ramon Abila has never been and never will be the fastest centre-forward. He will never press Minnesota like to defend from the front. Adrian Heath has said that on, on a multitude of occasions. And he was just never going to be that centre forward. Um, and he, he proved to, to be um, an expensive mistake, I think it's safe to say. The question now is what Minnesota United will do moving forward, because there's an international spot that's obviously now available again. I'm assuming there's a decent amount of room on the salary cap that's now available. I do wonder um, what they'll do moving forward in terms of a replacement, because now... They are obviously a striker short on the roster. There's, there's got to be a couple of weeks of assessment, I think. I, I know that there's been conversations with, with perhaps what to do over the course of the next few weeks. But the simple fact of the matter is, Kay, is that this just didn't work. Well, and I think, you know, you asked me, I think in our last podcast, as the when we were still in the midst of the window or it was close to closing or whatever it was, 
And I said, I'm all for, you know, making a decision, making a move, adding a player, moving a player, if it's for the right reasons. And I think that's always the biggest thing that when my mind, when I think about things, don't, you know, going forward, and I'm not saying clearly the the people that are making these decisions are also thinking these things, you know, this isn't like some genius remark by me, but don't do it just because like you're now you have an international spot and you're technically lacking a forward on the roster. You've made really good do when I say you've made do really pretty good with moving and shuffling other pieces around. You have Adrian Anu who hasn't gotten on the score sheet as much as I'd like, but he is the style of player that I think does fit into Adrian's system as far as high pressing willingness to do the work, willingness to make the runs, willingness to defend, and maybe the goals will come. And you still have Robin Lud, who is more than capable of sliding into that position and, and playing there when necessary. So I'm just saying, I think it needs to be the right player for the right reasons at the right time. No point in rushing into something and, and making sure that the, the money in the international spot is spent um, wisely, which I know that Amos and Mark Watson and Adrian Heath and all and company are constantly on the lookout and having conversations with all the soccer that is being played around the world constantly. So um, we'll see what happens, but I think ultimately, um, you know, I, I think that Minnesota is not hurt unless it's just financially. I don't know again, how the salaries work. I, mm-hmm. I don't think Minnesota United is hurt by not having a Ramon Avila on this roster right now. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. We'll, we'll wait and see. Clearly this one didn't work. But let's be honest, they've got a lot right over the course of the last few years in terms of bringing new players in. Okay, we'll take a short break. And next up, we'll talk all about LA Galaxy with the former US men's national team legend, Kobe Jones. Minnesota United fans, save time every time when you use online check-in for a great haircut at Great Clips. Download our app or check in online at greatclips.com. Great Clips, it's going to be great. And a very warm welcome back to the Match Preview Podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindra D. St. Aubin. Kindra, you know the one thing that always baffles me? The term legend, I think, gets thrown around far too easily nowadays in, in today's world. Today, we really and legitimately are joined by a U.S. men's national team and L.A. Galaxy legend, Kobe Jones, joins the podcast. Kobe, we are not worthy. I know this is only audio, but if you could see me now, I am bowing down to you. You are legitimate US soccer royalty. Thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing much better after that introduction, and I I appreciate appreciate all the time. (laughs) No, we are delighted. We're thrilled to have you on. Really appreciate it. Uh, So go on then. Let's get straight into it, shall we? The LA Galaxy, um, much more recognizable now, given their league standings. What have you made of the campaign thus far? I think the the season has been fantastic. Uh, The way that the Galaxy has changed things from the previous years, it's almost, I mean, kind of like you said, the Galaxy are recognizable once again. You know, we're seeing that the Galaxy are kind of the talk of the league and everything that they're doing and questions are being asked. And how is this possible that they had such a turnaround in a short time? And I give a lot of credit to Greg Vanny and his staff and what they've done. I think one of the things that we really, everyone should be paying attention to is the fact that, you know, the Galaxy has not had their full starting lineup once this season, that they have consistently had players out 
They they have had players during call-ups. They have many injuries. So they haven't been close to their starting lineup yet this whole season. And it's starting to come together right as we, you know, as we like to say, that summer push as we start getting and thinking about playoffs. Kobe, I know we're focusing on the positive here and the fact that LA Galaxy are third in the Western Conference right now as we're recording this. But having been a club legend and been around LA Galaxy so much and then doing the television broadcast of the game, how how challenging was it the last few years, couple of years, when you'd have the ups and the downs and the ebbs and the flows and trying to reconcile what you know to be LA Galaxy with sort of what we were sometimes seeing on the pitch and some of the issues were? Yeah, it was it was difficult, and, and of course, yeah, this is uh, looking at it from the perspective of my issues and my problems. <laughs> because I wasn't happy as many of the Galaxy fans weren't happy. You know, when you see a, an organization that is kind of associated with success in the league and in itself, especially at the international level, it, it's difficult to have these, you know, not just lulls but these long scenarios where they just have not been good. Uh, so it was it was good to see. Galaxy uh, kind of turn things around this year and come back and have that excitement once again, you know, whenever you talk about uh, the LA Galaxy. Whenever the Galaxy have been at their best, Colby, they have been extremely exciting to watch, mouth-watering at times. They've added some really good attacking pieces this year, um, one or two reinforcements from France. Uh, what have you made of the likes of uh, Javier Le Son uh, and Samuel uh, Grancier? What have they added from from an attacking perspective moving forward for the Galaxy? Well, I think when we talk about both of those players, they're they're exciting players to watch. And one thing I always say is that when you have these international players come in, you need to give them time to gel. You know, there's very few that 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 come in and all of a sudden are just tearing it up like a Robbie Keane did. Um, for me, I look at uh, Grand Seer. And he's starting to really start to get the, his feet underneath him where we were seeing that speed and pace um, that we were told so much about beforehand. And what I like about him is he's the, the old school winger. You know, and I'll say it in my vein where he, he likes to get the ball and he likes to attack you know, the outside back or the midfielder and start to drive at him. We're starting to see that over the last few games and he's putting his pace to good use. You know, then when we talk you know, um, about Revelison, and his abilities in there, I think he's been fantastic in the defensive midfield holding position. He's also played in center back for the Galaxy, and that tells you something right there. He has the ability to play in multiple positions in the center. He gives that every team that is successful needs to have, and to have that player that's in that midfield area that can break up some tackles, that can you know can dish it out as well as take it. You know, so I think that those are talking about those two players. Those are the skill sets and the just kind of like the attitudes that they give to the galaxy. And I think they're going to be special and continuously being special going forward. Clearly, one of the most popular signings and one that was made so much about was Chicharito. And I know he's injured as of right now, or has been of late. Whether he comes back this weekend or not, I'm not sure. But what was the biggest difference that you saw in him? from 2020 to 2021. And I'm not just talking, of course, he's on the field and scoring goals, but what have you seen change in him since last season to to find the success that he has this year? Uh, time, time. He's able to get his feet, uh, uh, you know, on the ground and have an understanding of the league. You know, as, as I kind of mentioned before, that's so important for, for players coming into this league to know what it's all about. And let's not, let's not forget, in 
2020, I mean, we had, you know, the COVID situation. We had a league that started, then stopped, you know, then the bubble, you know, then you're out, you know, and put Chicharito in all of that. So he did the start, stop, bubble, injury as well, and then tried to come back and then fell out with the injury again. I mean, that's, that's someone's first year in a league. That's tough. Now his second year, you know, he's had time. He's adjusted with all the players. You know, he's got a better understanding, has a full preseason underneath him. And then when he comes out in that leadership role, as, as you'll hear other players on the Galaxy talk about, he stepped into that role as a veteran, as he should, you know, as a DP, as he should. Then all of a sudden he's scoring goals. You know, it, it, it's, it's not a mystery. You know, he's doing exactly what was expected of him when he had the, the, the time and the ability to do it. Now, the big issue is going to be, can we keep him healthy? Can he stay healthy through this last run-up? And I think that's why the Galaxy is being very cautious about when he's going to come back and when he's going to, uh, when they're going to put him on the pitch to make sure that he is healthy enough to make a full run all the way through the playoffs. Whilst we're talking of centre-forwards, Kobe, if Javier Hernandez isn't fit enough to play, uh, the Galaxy did some business on deadline day. Um, Dejan Jovic coming in, a centre-forward Serbian uh, from Eintracht Frankfurt in the German Bundesliga. 18 goals last year in Austria. Was this a case of somebody like this becomes available and you simply have to do it? Yes. <laughs> Without a doubt, I mean, I mean, you giggle, you laugh, and we all we all know it's true. Everyone listening knows it's true. If you have someone that can score goals and has that type of ability and wants to come to the team, and you can snap them up, yeah, you go for it. You know, a young player, you know, that has. I mean, I, I'm like everybody else. I didn't know a whole lot about him, but you look at the highlights, and you're just like, wow, this guy's pretty good. This is going to be a nice addition to the squad to have, you know, uh, a situation where the Galaxy can play with two strikers to play with one, one spelling the other, depending on his injuries or whatnot. It just gives more options. And now, all of a sudden, the Galaxy have two just out-and-out -out goal scorers because that's one thing that is very difficult. You, and, it, and it's tough to train, you, you know, to train to be a goal scorer where you have, as we like to say, that knack to just put the ball, the ball in the back of the net at odd angles, you know, at the, the most times or the most inopportune moments, you know, within a game. And with Dayon, he fits the bill and all of that. And he's a young player that maybe gives you a, a little bit more energy where he's up and coming and exciting. So I think this is uh, a great pickup for the Galaxy where they're going to be very strong going forward. And then it's just going to be about him melding in with the rest of the squad. A lot has been made the last couple of years about defensively some of the struggles and, and still I think it's 28 goals against so far, but you're still sitting, you know, Alley Galaxy in that third position. Have the holes, ha has the issues been solved defensively for this club or right now are they just scoring enough goals to make up for some of the goals that they're letting in? Uh, right now, they're just scoring enough goals to make up for the goals that they're letting in, Kendrick. Let's, let's be honest with that. You, can, you shouldn't be giving up that many goals, you know, for any any team that wants to have a serious run, you know, going to try and get the, make it to the Mons Cup. Uh, but I think you know, one thing we have to realize as well, if you look at the back four, it, it's been inconsistent just as far as the players that have been in the back four. And, you know, every team that I've been on um, that has been successful, you know, throughout has always had a consistent, in back four. You can change the base, change the forward, 
but the back four and the goalkeeper usually stay, you know, all the time. Even when you're having a game where you're just like, okay, we're going to rest a lot of players, usually that back four is still there. You know, but the Galaxy haven't had that. But now we're starting to get, you know, Williams and Koulibaly next to each other as those two holding centrally to really kind of see, okay, can we get them four or five games together to start melding and then have them with Araujo on the right and Diafania, you know, on the left, just really start to come together and understand one another. Because one of the things that I saw throughout some of the games, is as the games wore on, it got a little bit tired, just kind of the understanding started to be a, a bit lacking as far as the connection from the outside uh, players to the central players and the central players to the holding midfielder when we talk about Revelation. So it, this is one thing where it just needs time and being drilled, you know, and tested over and over to see if they're good enough. And, uh, and th- that truly is a situation where I think they are good enough, but we're going to have to wait and see, you know, how they come together over the next few games. Colby, he's not perhaps as slick or smart as James Bond, but Jonathan Bond, <laughs> new goalkeeper, <laughs> seems yeah. to have been a good addition for LA Galaxy. What have you made of him so far? Uh, yes, Bond, Jonathan Bond. Uh, <laughs> he's been he's been giving us a performance that I think a lot of people would be willing to pay to see. You know, it's it's been incredible what we've seen him do at moments within a match. He's a goalkeeper that inspires confidence in his back line and the rest of his team, which you, which you want. You want to have that feeling that if someone gets through, he's going to come up with that big save to keep you in the game. You know, that's something that the Galaxy has lacked, you know, for quite some time. But there is always like, oh, well, they gave up the goal at the wrong time. Now, look, Bond's going to make some mistakes, you know, every, every goalkeeper does. Yeah, but he's more often than not, he has come through with some uh, some great saves, spectacular saves. But pro- probably most importantly, he's come up with saves when they should have been scored and they should have been goals. And that's probably the most important part. You, everybody wants a keeper like that that makes that save where you're just like, how is that possible? How did he stop that from going? Colby, just before we maybe move on a little bit to Minnesota United and also men's national team, I just want to ask you real quick about Kevin Cabral and what you see from him. I know he's a young GP that, you know, came on with, with LA Galaxy, but he's a player that even people in Minnesota United have talked about having some interest in. Um, what do you like about him and what kind of qualities is he going to bring to the club? Uh, with Cabral, I, I like him. I think he's one of the players that is going to take a little bit of time for him to just kind of get his feet, you know, underneath him and have an understanding of this league. I don't think he has an understanding yet of how good he is and can be in this league. You know, I have one thing that straight up that I, I have been saying from day one, I don't think he knows how fast he is compared to some of the other, compared to the defenders in this league. He's got that long, lanky stride where, and, and he has power behind it, where within two or three strides, he's going beyond defenders. But a lot of the times, those did bring in kind of that um, that technical ability and probably where the, the better decision would have been, I'll just keep running with the ball. You don't have to do that. You know? So I, I think he's still learning, you know, about the league, but he has the technical capabilities uh, the tactical savvy to be very good, you know, with this, within this league. And I think if you see him, I think it's very important to pay attention to how he is right now 
and how he's going to be even next year, where he's been a full season underneath him and then two preseasons. I think you're going to see a very different uh, Kevin Carroll, where you're going to see a player that even more teams are going to be talking about. Colby, whilst we have you, let's talk a little bit about the United States men's national team, shall we, and the current state of the national team in this country. The FIFA rankings were announced earlier today, and look, we can debate all day whether they matter or not, can't we? But maybe that's another podcast for another day. Um, the United States ranked in the top 10 once again, for the first time in some time as well. How good is that for the sport of soccer in this country moving forward? Uh, I think it's great. I think that's uh, I think that's probably better, you know, for the uh, for people to read it in the paper than 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 a whole lot of other stuff. I think it's great for U.S. soccer, you know, and when they're going out and doing their business deals and all those types of things. Because I'm I'm of the belief, you know, it's the rankings don't matter. It's what happens on the pitch that really matters, you know. So um, I, I'm I'm and still excited though to see that the results that the U.S. has, has gotten recently um, has put them in that conversation where they are, are considered and are considered to be number 10, you know, in the world. Because, yeah, it's, uh, it, it is nice to have to say, hey, look where we are. But in the end, it's going to be about backing up that ranking, you know, more so than anything else. And speaking of that, Kobe, I think it was 2018. We were in Los Angeles to face the Galaxy, and the U.S. just failed to qualify for the World Cup. And you were nice enough to join us in the booth live to talk about it when the emotions were probably still pretty raw. What does it mean to you then where this group is now? And I know we had two very different groups in the two tournaments this summer. And I know you got to back it up on the field, but where is this group right now in your mind? And, and what do you still need to see from, from the U.S. men's national team going forward? Well, I think this group has been uh, very, very good, you know, over the past few years. Uh, one thing that we, that we have to remember is that U.S. soccer, they blew everything up you know, when they didn't qualify last time. And, and it, was, it was good. A lot of changes had to come about. Uh, new coach comes in, different philosophies, different type of players, you know, everything. And the fact that we have a plus team that can win Nations League, the majority of those players leave, and then um, basically a whole set of new players come in and then go off to win the Gold Cup, that says something about the last two years and the emphasis has been put in the right places where they're getting results because that's the most important thing, right? It, it's about getting results for this time coming up. World Cup qualifiers qualifying for the World Cup. So they've had the practice now. Now it's all, you know, we're, we're leading up to those qualifiers. Now all the big stuff. So this is where you really got to step on the field and make it happen. I think the talent is there. We're seeing a lot of uh, players play at a high level and getting time on the field, which is extremely important. And we're seeing even that second level of player getting a lot of time on the field, which is which is just as important because I think we're going to see you know a lot of those Nations League players and a lot of the players and I'm saying a few of the players from the Gold Cup, you know, be the main group that goes through the whole qualifying process. Kobe Jones, LA Galaxy legend. Look, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. Before we let you go, one more question. Obviously, the Galaxy on the road this weekend to Minnesota United. From an outsider's point of view, what is the thought process on Minnesota United at the moment? What, what is the view of the loons from the outside? 
it's uh, basically an idea of, of, of what's happening, what type of, which means team are we going to see, you know, coming out there? Because you go, you go back to last year and it was such a, t- a team that was, you know, everybody's talking about and there's such attention and such hype. And then there is, you know, the, the struggles back and forth within this year. I think, I think it's a, a team that everyone's trying to wrap their head around about where are they going to, what are they going to be as playoff time comes around? If they're going to be that solid team, that's going to be just difficult to break down. That that can surprise you in multiple and different ways, you know, as we've seen in the past. So there's still a lot of questions. You know, I think uh, from from everybody, where where everyone's unsure. You know, to be quite frank, you know, with your side about what what type of squad is going to be out on any given day. Five o'clock Saturday afternoon, Minnesota United hosting LA Galaxy. Always a sense of occasion when LA Galaxy come to town. My thanks as always to Colby Jones, our guest, Kindred E. St. Aubin, our producer, Tyson Hill, and of course, to you at home for listening. From all of us here, we'll see you on Saturday. <laughs>